Amen. All right, check this out. There's this old preacher, and he was dying. And he had very little time left on earth, and so he sent for a message, get this, for an IRS agent and a local politician. Both of them, believe it or not, church members. And, and he asked them specifically, those two, to come to his house. And well, they, they arrived there, and they, they were immediately ushered up into the preacher's bedroom there. And as they entered the room, the preacher, he held out his hands, and he just simply motioned to each one of them to, you know, come by his side, one on either side. And, and so the dying preacher, he's, he, he grasped their hands, and he just sits there, and he just, he sighs very contentedly, and he just, and he just stares at the ceiling. Well, obviously, for a time, he said nothing, but the IRS agent, the politician, they, they were touched, and the, the old preacher would ask them, of all people, to be with him in his final moment, but they were puzzled, why did he want them, Right? And plus, they both remembered his many long and uncomfortable sermons about greed and covetousness and their wicked behavior that made them squirm in the seats. And, and, and so finally, uh, uh, they couldn't take it anymore. So the politician asked, well, hey, preacher, uh, why didn't you ask the two of us to come? And the old preacher, he mustered up just a little bit last of strength that he had left. And he weakly said, well, Jesus died between two thieves. And that's how I want to go, too. <laughs> oh, wow. It makes sense. Okay. But hey, how many guys would say that, that preacher, he, he's making some pretty good preparations for his journey beyond the grave, you know what I'm saying? Past the earth, right? And, and that's a good thing to do, right? You want to make good preparations, right? And uh, unfortunately, though, the unfortunate trend that's going on today in the American church is we're not doing the same thing. We're not making good preparations before we leave the planet, okay? We're doing some unfortunate things, and can anybody guess what that is? It's when we walk around acting like practical atheists. I mean, you talk about thievery, you talk about wicked behavior, you talk about robbing people of an important spiritual truth. What are we doing? We say we believe in God, but half the time with our lips and our lives, we're giving a different impression. We're, we're acting like God's not even a part of the equation. He's not even there. And again, we've been seeing over and over again, it's not just that it's detrimental in our walk with God. People are watching us, and so it keeps them from believing in God. So to avoid this irony of you and I as Christians living like these practical atheists, but not knowing who God is, we're going to continue our study on the character of God and let him from his holy word define for us who he is. Don't make it up yourself. That would be an idol in itself. But we've seen the first thing you need about God is he's what? He's real. He's not some pipe dream. He's not opiate for the masses. He is real, not only biblically, but even logically, scientifically, philosophically, etc. The second good thing is, hey, listen, he's not just there on the backside of Pluto going, well, Hope you're doing okay. No, why? Jesus Christ died on the cross for another dry, stale, boring, man-made religion. Yeah. No, for a beautiful, loving, intimate, personal relationship with who? God, the creator of the universe. Absolutely wonderful. He's personal. He's intimate. The third thing, he's what? He's wise. God knows it all. He never gets it wrong. He can't get it wrong. So why would we go anywhere else when we need advice? The fourth thing, he's sovereign. He not only controls all things, that if you love him, he works all things together for good. What a fantastic promise from him. The fifth thing we saw, he is powerful. God can save anybody he wants. He can supply any need he wants. It's just absolutely amazing. When God's on the throne, there's always hope. And you know what the good news is? He's always on the throne. He's got the power to do it all, folks. There's always hope. Now, speaking of his throne, we saw the sixth one. Remember that one? Woo! God is not just holy. He is what? He is holy. He is holy. He is holy. The only attribute of God mentioned three times, I think he wants us to get that one. And we took a lot of time on that one. And the last two times we saw the seventh one is God is what? God is love. Now, again, not just God is loving, not just God is lovable. God is love itself. Which means everything he does is a perfect act 
of love. It's a multifaceted, fantastic attribute from God. And that's what we've been doing the last several times is we're taking a look at one facet, if you will, of a giant diamond uh, called God's uh, being love, okay? And so far we've seen that God demonstrates that he is love itself by giving us mercy and last time by giving us compassion. Remember the Greek word there? Splunkna. How many of you guys went home and named your cat that? Wouldn't that be cool? Yeah, you should. It'd be kind of, hey, it's a conversation starter. Splunkna, come here, Splunkna. I digress. Let's move on. Uh, uh, Splunkna, compassion is what the word means there. And there we saw out of what? Out of Splunkna, out of compassion, the scripture says, listen to this, Jesus died for those who wanted us, uh, him dead. And listen, we're going to get into this again today. He continually forgives our continual sins. Remember that? The story of the prodigal son? Right? And the prodigal son story, he comes back, right? And, and, and the dad, what's he do? And praise God, the son, he, he went out in wild living and spent it all and, and all that stuff. And he, he came to his senses. He goes back to the father's house. And what dad do? He killed the fatted calf. Woohoo! Come on, son. But can you imagine the son? He goes and he takes the dad's money again. He goes and he does it the next month. And then comes back. Dad throws him apart. Can you imagine? He does it again the next week. And then he comes back. Can you imagine? He did it every single day. That's what God has done for us. When Jesus Christ forgives us, it's 100% complete. He continually forgives our continual sins. Not just, praise God, up to the point we got saved. Past, present, and future. It's a complete deal. Isn't that absolutely amazing? That's spontaneous and that's compassion, okay? But I'm still preaching on this, Bobby, so guess what? There's got to be more, and there is. The third way that we're going to see that God is love is he gives us, ooh, kindness. Kindness, just like that, that picture says it all, doesn't it? He's just kind. He grabs that little sheep, and he's kind towards us, okay? That's what God has done through Jesus Christ. But as always, don't take my word for it. Open your Bibles to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. We're going to see this first aspect of God's kindness. The scripture also uses another word called loving kindness, which certainly fits uh, with the two. But Titus chapter 3, and uh, if you find Philemon, what do you do? Take a left and celebrate because you probably haven't found that book in seven years, right? But uh, it's in there. It's in there, but no. Uh, Titus chapter 3, let's take a look there. Verses 1 through 7, what God has done uh, for you and I. As you find it, let's go ahead and stand as we read God's holy word. Titus chapter 3, and let's take a look there. And of course, Paul in the context here, just like he did with First and Second Timothy, Timothy, a young pastor, so is Titus. So Paul, a seasoned minister, he is telling Titus, here's something very important you need to do in your ministry as a young pastor. And the first thing he says there is what? Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show, show true humility towards all men. In other words, be a Christian, will you? Okay, why? Listen to this. Now listen to what he says we were before God demonstrated his kindness upon us. He says at one time, we too, remember those days? We too were foolish, weren't we? And disobedient and, and deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. And we lived in malice, remember that? And envy and being hated and we hated one another. But here's the good news. When the what? Kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. He saved us. Listen, not because of the righteous things we had done, no, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of the rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us, what? Generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. Why? So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. You may be seated. 
quite a mouthful in that text there, uh, as we see Paul writing to Titus. But what he says, I don't know how you get any plainer than this, but the Bible clearly says, and we know this truth, hopefully, we know this truth. The Bible says that nobody is getting to heaven because they're so wonderful, right? You're going to stand before, hey, God, you've got to let me in because I'm just, no, 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 no. That's not what it says. And this isn't the only passage, folks, okay? The text says, listen, here's what you were before you got saved. This is, like it, lump it, believe it or not, this in the eyes of God compared to his absolute holiness, which means what? Without sin. What holiness means? God's without sin. So he's looking down, and before we got saved, okay, here's what was going on. He says there, we were what? We were disobedient fools enslaved to sin full of hatred. Doesn't that pump you up? No, <laughs> it's supposed to humble you. But when you humble yourself and acknowledge God's truth, he will lift you up, right? He just, hey, listen, don't forget where you came from. Don't forget what I saved you from. I didn't save you because you were so wonderful, right? Don't you remember who you were? Remember those days? You were a disobedient fool and slave to sin, full of hatred. Been there, done that, wish I wouldn't have bought the t-shirt. But here's the good news. He contrasts that. He doesn't say there. He says, what? Out of kindness, out of kindness, what's God do? He didn't have to. He's kind. He poured out his love, what? Generously. And boy, are we going to see that through Jesus Christ, okay? And he saved us. Here's the phrase that I have camped half my life on. He saved us in spite of ourselves. Now, isn't that a wonderful truth? That God saves us in spite of us. Did you ever used to have that mentality? I, I remember after I got saved and, and uh, uh, I had some, some family had come to a church service and and one of them was uh, my uncle, and he, he was like, you know, the old accent, I don't know if I can step in here, <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, things that I've done, the church is going, the roof's going to cave in on me. You remember that? And, and it's this mentality that maybe you had, like, well, well you know, I, I got to clean up my act before I can become a Christian. Now, God already knows, man. He already knows your past. Out of kindness, knowing that there's no way you can clean yourself up. Out of kindness, what did he do? He saved us generously. He poured out upon us generously through Jesus Christ. Out of mercy, out of kindness, in spite of us. God saved us. Okay? Now, here's the problem. We say we know that. And I'm not talking just in the world. I'm talking in the church today. There's all kinds of unfortunate false teachings going on. But we live in a world today that no longer pleads for the kindness of God. Even in the church. Not even thankful for it. Because here's what's going on. People today, even the church, no longer think that they are what the scripture says. That before you got saved, you were disobedient fool, enslaved to sin. You were full of hatred. No, they think they are full of sugar and spice and everything nice. And God had to save me because who wouldn't? I'm so cool, right? You know, right? That's a mentality, right? It's crazy, okay? But again, this is what's going on. The average person today does not think that they need the kindness of God poured out on them generously. They think they're owed the kingdom of God. And it's messing things up, folks. Okay? And we've been seeing, especially in our holiness study, if we ever, hey, if we ever got what was owed to us, what would we get? Hey, you know the game, Monopoly, right? Are you familiar with Monopoly uh, uh, theology? Uh, we would not pass go. We would not collect $200. We go straight into hell. Not just jail. We go to hell right? Okay, that's what we get. So we need to appreciate this kind act of God pouring out his love on us generously, and that's what I want to start to break apart three different ways today. The first way the Bible describes and reveals to us God's loving kindness towards us is listen, and this is basically what this text in Titus is saying, but I want to build on it, okay? He takes sinners just as they are. He takes sinners just as they are. God does not wait for us to clean up our act before he 
accepts us. Isn't that awesome? Why? Because he knows our background. Now, we just read one text, and if you think that was a self-esteem killer, wait till you read this one. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 1, 26-30, listen to this. Paul says this, brothers, think of what you were when you were called, right? In other words, what were you like before you got saved? We already saw disobedient, full of hatred, all that. Listen to this. I love it. He says, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were noble by birth, but what? God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Why? So that no one may boast before him. Nobody's getting to heaven by your own bootstraps. We're all disqualified. So he says, nobody's going to boast before God. And if you are trying to add to that, you're not trusting the cross of Christ. That's dangerous. He said it is because of who? God. It's because of him that you're in Christ Jesus. In spite of yourself, again, is the wonderful phrase. But we see here, Paul, it's absolutely awesome. He says when it comes to salvation, just like we saw in Titus, that God chose who? He chose the foolish. He chose the weak. He chose the lowly. He chose the despised. And guess who that is? It's us. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? Turn to somebody and say, hey, you weak, despised fool. Woo-hoo. Good to see you. Isn't that great? It's awesome when you think about it, right? Because it's so comforting. That means there's hope. God can save me. He can save anybody. He can save because I've been a weak fool, man. I'm despised. I'm full of hatred. I'm enslaved to sin. Oh, oh, there's hope. That's, that's the good news, okay? And the reason why God was doing that was why? To keep us from b- boasting and before him and also not putting our hope in something that will never get you to heaven, and that's called your own behavior, it's to drive you to Christ, that it's only him. I've said before, eventually, Lord willing, in this study, we're going to get into the issue of eternal security. right? And here's the facts, folks. Hey, if even .0001% of our salvation was based upon our behavior, past, present, future, how many of us would get to heaven, myself included? None of us. We'd all go burn into hell. Salvation is 100% complete. Praise God. And that's why we serve him because we love him, not because we have to, after all he's done. But he says this, he's doing this to display his kindness. In essence, God saves us in spite of us. Listen, he's not waiting for us to become perfect people. Why? Because it's common sense. If God were to wait for us, any of us, to become perfect before he would save us, let alone accept us, what would he be doing? Yeah, he'd still be waiting. So it's the only option. If it's going to be true, if salvation is going to happen, uh, it better be in spite of us, and it is. Now, if you think that that's not true of you, then I got a little routine. It goes like this, especially if you're married. Uh, Just write down your name and address and uh, phone number specifically, uh, and I will call your spouse after service, and we'll get this verified real quick that you're not perfect. Okay, and then we'll make a big announcement next week. No, uh, but anyway, but, but seriously, this is the great news. Out of kindness, God takes you and I, listen, sinners, just as we are. Just as we are. Sin and all. And he sent Jesus to die in our place. Wipe it all out, every last bit of it. Isn't that kind? Isn't that awesome? Now, this is why, and you've heard me kick this so many times, I'm going to kick it again. This is why it's so dangerous with this self-love, self-esteem, self, 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 self stuff that's going around. Even the church. 
Because it's all self-inflated statements. And again, we, we laughed when I went, mm, who wouldn't want to save me? <laughs> you know, right? But that's what that self-love, self love self What's the scripture say? No, no, no. God didn't have to save you. You weren't worthy to be saved. We were unworthy. We were God's sinners. We were full of hatred and deceit. And we were foolish and weak and despised. And, and we looked down like, blah, but he saved us anyway. Now that magnifies his love. But when you want to try to add an ounce of flesh to it, like, oh, I'm not that bad, or look at me, <laughs> it cheapens the grace of God. It cheapens the cross of Christ. And it takes away that thankful spirit. Thank you, God. There was no hope for me, man. No hope. But you, you take sinners just as they are. That's what that teaching does. It, it robs us of that. It seduces people to lose any sense of appreciation from the kindness of God. Now, let me illustrate. Now, this might seem a little bit of graphic. Okay, but I, I got this picture. Let me just go ahead and pop it up here. Take a look at there. And uh, it's a pretty graphic picture, okay? And uh, it's a true story. I, I got this years ago, and I kept it on file. I actually scanned it in back in the old days uh, from a missionary magazine that I got when I was in Bible college. And, uh, and it's a true story. It's a boy in Africa, and it was taken by some missionaries, this picture, and if you obviously notice, he's got uh, basically no nose, his lips, half his face has been torn off. And what happened was he got attacked by a hyena when he was a child and basically almost ate his face off, okay? And, uh, and I'm not here to uh, make fun of this guy. Don't, don't misunderstand me at all. I'm using this by way of analogy. Uh, but as you can see from a human standpoint, his facial features are, to use the term, and I don't mean this negatively towards him at all, but to use the term, it's kind of grotesque as we would say, right? Now, here's what's wild, because that's only half the story. It's not just that's his condition. But the boy has no, and this is what the article said, the boy has no idea of the awfulness of his condition. He doesn't know he looks like that. And the reason why the article said is because there's no mirrors in the village. And this boy, he does not know what he really looks like. He has never seen the ugly scars. He's never seen his reflection. But listen, but the villagers never told him. They never plan on telling him. They just love him and accept him for who he is. Just like he's anybody else. Blew me away. Blew me away. Now, the reason why I'm still holding that up there, what if that boy went around that village and he demanded the rest of the villagers instead of out of kindness, accept him for who he is? You must love me. I'm so incredible. I'm so handsome. I'm so incredible. <laughs> First of all, that would be incredibly arrogant, given his condition. Again, I'm not making fun of him. But it wouldn't change his condition, would it? But the irony of the situation, going around saying, you're so incredible, <laughs> when, when that's really what's going on there. Now, I said that, and hopefully you're going to get my point on this. That's really what I think, from God's viewpoint, is happening when we walk around with all this self-love, self-esteem. Mm, I'm so wonderful. God had to save me. I'm so incredible. When yet he says, weak, lowly, despised, full of hatred, enslaved to sin. I see it all. I see all the grotesqueness of your sin. And you're going to sit there and say, I have to be kind to you. I have to. Mm -hmm. Do you see the irony of what's going on there? It cheapens God's kindness. It cheapens his love. In spite of our condition, just like those villagers, like they did with that boy, God, listen, even the sin of those statements, God looks down upon us and goes, you know what? I'm just going to take you as you are. 
I'm going to take you as you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how grotesque it is. I'm going to take you as you are. I'm going to send my son to take the death penalty in your place and wipe it clean. I'm going to bring you into my household and treat you as if you don't even look like that. Won't even bring it up. Isn't that amazing? That's what God does for us. He takes us as we are. Ugliness, sinful ugliness and all. Wow. That's pretty kind, isn't it? That's just step one. It gets better as you go. Okay, that gets us into the door, so to speak. Praise God. <laughs> okay, the second way that he reveals his loving kindness is, listen, he not only takes, uh, takes us as we are, okay, sinners as we are, but then he goes and he turns sinners into saints. Saints. And we've seen this before, but let's talk about this again. Okay, this is what's awesome. He doesn't just accept us and say, okay, you stay over there. Right? Listen to what he does. This is so cool. Right? Paul uses this word, and it's, it's throughout the New Testament. This isn't the only occurrence. Right? He says this. We get a new title from God. He doesn't call us what we used to be. He'll bring up what we used to be, but he gives us new titles. Right? And this is one of them. Romans 1, 1 and 7. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. To all in Rome, he's writing to the Christians there, who were loved by God, called to be what? Saints. Okay, we've seen this before. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so here we see Paul writing to the Roman condition of Christians there. And, and, and what he says is, listen, they're not just loved by God. God didn't just accept them for who they are. But then God slaps a brand new title on them. And that title we've seen before is he calls them what? Saints. Now we've seen that word there, saint, over and over again. Okay, and it means it's hagios. It means holy one. So you put that in the vernacular. Even after you got saved, who in us here, any of us, myself included, have ever lived like a saint? Well, once again, you know the routine. If you think you do, write your name and your spouse, cell phone number. I'll verify again after the service. Okay, uh, but that's. This, but this is seriously. This is what we see in our text. Out of kindness, God doesn't just take us as we are. He turns sinners and he turns us into saint. Literally, that word is just not a whole. It means a most holy thing. That's what that word means. So God, remember the picture of the boy? Oh, what a, man, all this sin and oh, uh, I'm just taking you as you are. Uh, but then he goes, I'll tell you what. From now on, this is all I will ever know you by. A most holy thing. Isn't that amazing? That's what that word means. A most holy thing. Holy. It was used also sometimes of the, the, the temple vessels. The vessels in themselves were not important. What made the vessels so special is they were in service for the holy worship of a holy God. And that's us. He, he turns us into a most holy thing. So my question is, how in the world could God call every Christian a saint, a most holy thing, when if we're honest with ourselves, we don't even live like that today? What's going on here? Okay. Well, again, we saw this last week. God not only accepts us for who we are, but he, and he not only forgives us of our sins, but listen, he, he, as we saw last time, he chooses to completely forget our sins. 
Listen, this is why. And this is what we saw with Hebrews. Let's, let's dive into this again. Hebrews 10, 16 through 17. This is the covenant or contract, God says, I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts. I will write them on their minds. And then he adds this. Listen, their sins and their lawless acts. I, God, in whom we have offended, says I will what? Remember them no more. Gone. And isn't that what the enemy does? Long after we've confessed to Christ, which the scripture says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. He will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's long gone. God's not, God says, I'm not going to remember that. And what's the enemy do? He keeps bringing it up. But God says, what are you, what are you talking about? Most holy thing. I don't even know what you're talking about. It's a positional truth in the scripture, as we saw, okay? It's an absolutely amazing act of God. In God's eyes, it's as if, it's the word justification, just as if I'd never sinned. It's as if we've never sinned in the, in the uh, first place. That's why he can consider us a saint, a most holy thing, because that's all he sees. It's a positional truth in Christ, okay? In fact, it's, it's mind-blowing. And when you grab it, man, and you get this, and you walk and live in this as a Christian, what Christ has done long before we get to heaven radically will revolutionize your walk with Jesus Christ. You'll have to pay somebody to slap the smile off your face. One guy put it this way. I love this. He says, Father, love at its best was the love that was revealed from God when Jesus came into the world. And that's why Jesus taught us to pray our Father, our Father in heaven. Now, you probably know that the word their Father in the original language was a special word. It's the word Abba, which literally means in the vernacular, Daddy. God was no longer to be thought of as some sort of transcendental being demanding his pound of flesh from afar off from us. Instead, God was supposed to be somebody, listen, who like a daddy would gather us up and love us, love us like his very own children. Now you say, well, I'm not sure that God would accept me. I mean, there's sin in my life. Indeed, there is. But this is the good news of the gospel, what it's all about. When Jesus came into the world, he came into the world, sent by God to take away our sin, listen, just so the Father could hug us. He came to remove the sin just so we would be acceptable to the Father. And the scripture says that if we come to the Father because of Jesus, he will in no wise cast us out. Incredible good news. And he said, well, why are you saying this? He says, well, because I always had this fear of going to heaven. I'm afraid of going to heaven. He says, yeah. He said, I always had this feeling that they were going to, to, to pull down this movie screen, right? And then, and, and, then, and then they would play a videotape of all the sins I ever committed. And my mother would be there. <laughs> and he says this, listen. He says, now people, I don't know whether they have a tape on me. And I don't know if they have a tape on you recording all your sins, recording all my sins. But if there is such a tape, I've got great news. Jesus has erased your tape. See, you're not quite getting it. Jesus has erased your tape. Right? Your sins, the scripture said, is blotted out. It's buried into the deepest sea, remembered no more. And that thrills me, not just to have my sins forgiven, but totally forgotten. Because that means that one day I'm going to walk before the Lord and Jesus will be there with my sins forgiven, forgotten, buried into the deepest sea, remembered no more. And with a record that is washed clean, with my sins that are totally purged, the Father will embrace me. And I will call him what Jesus encouraged me to call him now. Abba, Daddy, Father. All because 
of Jesus. Isn't that incredible? That's the loving kindness of God. It's one thing to accept people for who they are. It's one thing to forgive people for who they are and what they've done. But to go ahead and treat them as if they've never sinned in the first place and then hug them as your children. Isn't that awesome? That's the kindness of God. That's what Jesus did on the cross, the the shedding of his blood. That's what it, it accomplished for us. In fact, speaking of the blood, I don't know if you remember this before you got saved. I went through this because I wasn't raised in church. You know my testimony. And uh, uh, so people the blood of Jesus, the blood, blood. And I thought, oh, that's kind of, kind of weird, blood, right? It's kind of the creature thing, the creature, the black lagoon, blood, right? No, I'm just being honest with you. I'm not making fun of it, believe you me. But I thought it was kind of strange. In fact, one Christian doctor, he too kind of had a, what's the blood of Jesus? What's, what's so important about that? What are you singing about the blood? He said this. He says, I used to think it's strange that the Bible kept talking about the cleansing power of the blood. It seemed to me that as a doctor, blood was messy stuff. In fact, uh, my white lab coats always got stained by blood, and it was a chore to get them clean. He says, but now I understand about the cleansing power of blood. Not because of what blood does on the outside, but what it does on the inside. Listen from a doctor. He said, you see, the blood in our bodies has a very important job. It's constantly cleansing every single cell. It's constantly washing away all the debris and impurities that accumulate inside of us. And this is what the blood of Jesus does for our sins. Isn't that wild? This is great. Amen. This is why we can be called saints, a most holy thing, without sin, without impurities, without blemish, without spot, as the scripture says, even though we don't act like it. This is why God can hug us right now as his children. It's because the blood of Jesus Christ, just like the blood in our bodies, continually keeps us clean. And the Father doesn't remember that anymore. And he just wants to hug you all the Father. Isn't that awesome? It's the old phrase there that God sees us through those rose-colored glasses, through the eyes of the blood of Jesus Christ, through the cross. One more to go. The third way, it gets even better as you go. The Bible demonstrates God's loving kindness is now, listen to this, right? He accepts sinners, praise God for who we are, right? Deformities and all, sinfulness and all, right? Then he takes us and he turns us into saints, a most holy thing. Then it gets even more intimate. Listen to this. He turns sinners into sons. This is mind-blowing to me, okay? He turned, let, let's explore that child analogy a little further. I mean, is that just a convenient truth? We say, I'm a child of God. Is that just because that's what we hope for? Uh, it sounds good. Or is it really real? Does God really consider us his children? Well, let's take a look at, once again, what does God's kindness, what has God's kindness done for us? Ephesians chapter 1, 4 through 6, long ago, even before, Paul says, he, God, made the world. God loved us and chose us in Christ to be what? There's your word, holy, your saint, a most holy thing, right? It, without fault in his eyes. He only sees us through the cross of Christ. Woo-hoo! It gets even better. Not just that. Listen, his unchanging plan has always been to what? Adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this gave God, listen, pleasure. Did you know that it pleased God to save you? Isn't that awesome? 
It's amazing. And so we praise God for this wonderful act of what? Kindness that he's poured out on us because we belong to his dearly loved son. And so here we see now Paul bringing it even clearer. He says, listen, God not only accepts us for who we are, praise God. God not only forgives us our sins, praise God. He not only forgives our sins to the point where he chooses to remember them no more, praise God. He not only calls us saint, he only sees us as the most holy thing, uh, praise God. But he literally then says, I'm going to adopt you into my own family. I'm going to make you into a son or a daughter. He takes sinners and he turns us into sons. In other words, we really do become his children. Do you realize that? Right? We belong to God, not the devil. We belong to the kingdom of light, not the kingdom of darkness. When God hugs us as his children, it's not just because that's a nifty Christianese statement that we kind of try to hopefully describe that someday. No, right now it's true. Right now we are his children. Right now he longs to hug us as our heavenly father. And again, that's incredible. Because again, let's, let's, let's ask the question. Who in here right now always lives like a son of God? Raise your hand. Yeah. Okay, I'll get your number later. And uh, we'll call your spouse. And we'll get this taken care of real quick. No, I'm just kidding you. Okay, no, no, we don't. But that's what's incredible, okay? Uh, seriously, this is out of kindness. God only sent Jesus to die for his sins. But he adopts us as his very own children. Who in their right mind would take people who sinned against you, didn't want to have nothing to do with you, basically hated your guts, and then say, I'm going to adopt you into my family. <laughs> Isn't that wild? Okay, that is an amazing act of kindness and love. In fact, it's the same level of kindness that this father did to the person who murdered his son. Listen to this. This is a letter from a man on death row, written to a man on death row, by the father of the man whom the man on death row killed. He killed his son. So this is the dad writing the letter to that man on death row. And he killed his son. He says, listen, quote, you're probably surprised that I, of all people, am writing a letter to you. But I ask you to read it in its entirety and consider its request seriously. As the father of the man whom you took part in murdering, I have something very important to say to you. I forgive you. With all my heart, I forgive you. I realize it may be hard for you to believe, but I really do. At your trial, when you confess to your part in the events that cost my son his life and ask for my forgiveness, I immediately granted you that forgiveness from my heart. But this is not all I have to say to you. I want to make you an offer. I want you to become my adopted child. You see, my son who died was my only child. And now I want to share my life with you. This may not make sense to you or anyone else, but I have arranged matters so that if you would receive my offer of forgiveness, not only will you be pardoned for your crime, but you will also be set free from your sentence of death. And at that point, you will become my adopted child and listen, heir to all my riches. On top of that. Also, I realize that it may seem foolish to make such an offer to one who cost my son his life, but I now have a great love in my heart for you. Listen, I know you'll never be perfect, but you don't have to be perfect to receive my offer. Some would call me foolish for my offer to you, but I only wish for you to call me your father. Sincerely, the father of Jesus. That's the gospel. That's what God has done. 
That's what he's telling us here in the scripture. The gospel is not just about God being willing to forgive us of our sins. It's not just about God being willing to forget our sins. It's not even being about being brought into God's forever family. What's amazing about the gospel is he does it for who in the context, just like that story, played a part in the murder of his one and only son. That's what's amazing. And that's why if we can't seem to appreciate the fact what God is telling us, folks, from his word, that he takes sinners, us, just as we are. He turns us into saints. He adopts us into his very own uh, family as his sons. If we can't seem to appreciate that, Christian, something's wrong. Something's wrong with us. Because if you had any idea the depths of God's love and his loving kindness, not a day will go by where we were not filled with an absolute joy and we would shout it to every man, woman, boy or girl. Don't you want to become a part of God's family too? In fact, I'm not making this up. This is not some convenient story. It's right here. The book that... Seems to collect dust. It's all right here. And when you look at it from this relational point of view, what is this? This is, this is God's love letter. 66 love letters written to you and I. The same message over and over again. I want a relationship with you. I know you're not perfect. I know you never will be. But I made a way for you to become a part of my family. Won't you become my child? It's God's love letter to us. It's kind of like the same thing as this video shares. We'll, we'll close in prayer to this.
With all due respect, you may not have had very good parents. Maybe you weren't blessed with growing up in a, the best of all families. And I've counseled some people that have a really hard time getting this concept, Father God, into their hearts when their father was not a very godly example. But this is what God's saying. I don't treat you like man treats you. And I'll never let you down. And I'll never cast you away. I've watched you your whole time on earth. And I know you're not perfect. And I know your heart's full of pain. But I made a way through my son for you to become my child. I love you. Why would you wait another day? Won't you become my child? It's all right here. That's it in a nutshell. And if that's you today, why are you waiting? Come to Jesus. Begin that relationship with God through him. And if you are already a child of God through Jesus, don't let the evil one fool you into thinking that God doesn't want to be near you, that God can't use you. That's a lie from the pit of hell. God uses us and loves us and saves us in spite of us. And his love endures forever. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy, we're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay? Well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word, 
Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy, okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that, and it's just as bad. He knows the mind, he knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it. If he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell, and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people 
who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.